Do you like a good scare? Do you have a dark and disturbing imagination? Then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The New Shiver Show. I am Mary Labrie, your host, here with my co-host, Greg Flynn. The Shiver Show brings you strange and chilling tales of crime, horror, and science fiction from the golden era of radio, as well as new contemporary productions. We're about to listen to The Landlady by Roald Dahl. Greg, any initial thoughts? Well, I'm interested to hear what happens in this adaption of uh, Roald Dahl's short story. After all, what possibly could go wrong in a tale with such an innocent-sounding title as as The Landlady? Absolutely. And and here's, um, you know, a beloved children's literature writer. So how, how dark could it get? Yes, this is going to be upbeat, cheery. I'm looking forward to this. I might have a cup of tea while I listen to it. (laughs) Or warm milk with some gingerbread cookies. The Landlady, a grown-up tale by Roald Dahl. By the time I arrived on the train, it was about nine o'clock, and the moon was coming up out of a clear starry sky over the houses opposite the station entrance. But the air was deadly cold, and the wind was like a flat blade of ice on my cheeks. Having never been in Bath before, I took directions from the porter to some cheap local lodgings, a pub called the Bell and Dragon, and made my way briskly down the street. For briskness was the one common characteristic of all successful businessmen, like those big shots up at the head office. They were always so amazingly brisk. As I studied the once swanky facades of the passing houses now cracked and blotchy with neglect, all of a sudden, in a downstairs window, I caught sight of a printed notice propped up against the glass. It said, Bed and breakfast. I stopped walking. I moved a bit closer. There was a vase of yellow chrysanthemums standing just underneath the notice that looked wonderful beside the green velvety curtains. I went right up and peered through the glass. Well, there's a nice fire burning the hearth. Look, pretty little dachshund curled up and asleep in front of it. Mm, Pleasant enough furniture. Large parrot in that cage back there. Animals are usually a good sign in this sort of place. All in all, looks far more comfortable than the bell and dragon. Though, on the other hand, a pub would be more congenial than a boarding house. Well, perhaps then I shall walk on and take a look before making up my mind. I turned to go. And now a queer thing happened to me. All at once my eye was caught and held in the most peculiar manner by the small notice that was there. Bed and breakfast, it said. Bed and breakfast. Bed and Each word was like a large black eye, staring at me through the glass, holding me, compelling me. And the next thing I knew, I was climbing the steps to the front door and reaching for the bell. The woman at this door popped out so fast, she was like a jack-in-the-box. It made me jump. Oh, please come in. The desire to follow after her into that house was extraordinarily strong. I saw the notice in in the window. Yes, I know. I was wondering about a room. It's all ready for you, my dear. I was on my way to the Bell and Dragon, but the the notice in your window just happened to catch my, my eye. My dear boy, why don't you come in out of the cold? 
How much do you charge? Five and sixpence at night, including breakfast. Fantastically cheap. If that is too much, then perhaps I can reduce it just a tiny bit. It would be sixpence less without an egg for breakfast, if you'd like. Five and sixpence is fine. I should like very much to stay here. I knew you would. Do come in. Just hang your hat there. Let me help you with your coat. I'm afraid we have the house all to ourselves. You see, it isn't very often I have the pleasure of taking a visitor unto my little nest. I should have thought you'd be simply swamped with applicants. I am, my dear, I am. Of course I am. But the trouble is that I'm inclined to be just a teeny-weeny bit choosy in particular, if you see what I mean. Ah, uh, yes. But I'm always ready. Everything is always ready day and night in this house. Just on the off chance that an acceptable young gentleman would come along. And it is such a great pleasure, my dear. Such a very great pleasure. When now and again I open the door and I see someone standing there who's just exactly right. Like you. The second floor is mine, and this one is all yours. Here's your room. I do hope you like it. The morning sun comes right in the window, Mr. Perkins. It is Mr. Perkins, isn't it? No, it's Weaver. Mr. Weaver, how nice. I put a water bottle between the sheets to air them out, Mr. Weaver. It's such a comfort to have a hot water bottle in a strange bed with clean sheets, don't you agree? And you may light the gas fire at any time if you feel chilly. Thank you. Thank you ever so much. I'm so glad you appeared. I was beginning to get worried. That's all right. You mustn't worry about me. Very well, then. I'll leave you now so you can unpack. But before you go to bed, would you be kind enough to pop into the sitting room on the ground floor and sign the book? Everyone has to do that, because it's the law of the land and we don't want to go breaking any laws at this stage in the proceedings, do we? Mm, she's slightly off a rocker, but at this price, what of it? After all, she's not only harmless, but also quite obviously a kind and generous soul. Probably just lost a son in the war, I suppose. So a few minutes later, I trotted downstairs to the living room. The landlady wasn't there, but the fire was glowing warm on the hearth, and the little dachshund was still sleeping soundly in front of it. I found the guestbook lying open on the piano, so I took out my pen and wrote down my name and address. There were only two other entries above mine on the page, and as one always does with guestbooks, I started to read them. Hmm, that's funny. This name... Christopher Mulholland rings a bell. Now, where on earth have I heard that name before? Now that I think of it, that second name has something familiar about it as well. Gregory Temple. Christopher Mulholland. Such charming boys. They sound somehow familiar. They do. How interesting. I'm almost positive I've heard those names before somewhere. Isn't that odd? Maybe it was in the newspapers. They weren't famous in any way, were they? Famous? No, I don't think they were famous. They were incredibly handsome, both of them. Just exactly like you, my dear. Look here. This last entry is over two years old. Dear me, I never would have thought it. How time does fly away from all of us, doesn't it, Mr. Wilkins? It's Weaver. Of course it is. How silly of me. I do apologise. Now, dear, come over here, sit down beside me on the sofa, and I'll give you a nice cup of tea and a ginger biscuit before you go to bed. You really shouldn't bother. I didn't mean you to do anything like that. I'm almost positive it was in the newspapers I saw them. I'll think of it in a second, I'm sure I will. Wait a minute, wait just a minute. Christopher Mulholland, wasn't that the name of the Eton schoolboy who was on a walking tour through the West Country? Milk and sugar? Uh, 
Yes, please. And then all of a sudden... schoolboy on there, my dear, can't possibly be right. Because my Mr. Mulholland was certainly not an Eton schoolboy when he came to me. He was a Cambridge undergraduate. Come over here now and sit next to me and warm yourself in front of this lovely fire. Come on, your tea's all ready for you. There we are. How nice and cosy this is, isn't it? As we sipped our tea in silence, I knew that she was looking at me. Her body was half-turned toward me, and I could feel her eyes resting on my face, watching me over the rim of her teacup. Oh, Mr. Mulholland was a great one for his tea. Never in my life have I seen anyone drink as much tea as dear sweet Mr. Mulholland. I suppose he left fairly recently. Left? But my dear boy, he never left. He's still here. Mr. Temple is also here. They're on the fourth floor, both of them together. How old are you, my dear? Seventeen. Seventeen? Oh, it's the perfect age. Mr. Mulholland was also seventeen, but I think he was a trifle shorter than you are. In fact, I'm sure he was, and his teeth weren't quite so white. You have the most beautiful white teeth, Mr. Weaver. Did you know that? They're not as good as they look. They've got simply masses of fillings in them at the back. Mr. Temple, of course, was a little older. He was actually 28, and yet I never would have guessed it if he hadn't told me. Never in my whole life. There wasn't a blemish on his body. A what? His skin was just like a baby's. That parrot in the corner, you know something? It, it had me completely fooled when I first saw it through the window. I could have sworn it was alive. Alas, no longer. It's most terribly clever the way it's been done. It doesn't look in the least bit dead. Who did it? I did. You did? Of course. And have you met my sweet little Basil as well? I realised that the dachshund had been just as silent and motionless as the parrot. I put out a hand and touched it gently on the back. It was hard and cold, and when I pushed the hair to one side, I could see the greyish-black skin underneath, perfectly preserved. Good gracious me, how absolutely fascinating. It must be awfully difficult to do a thing like that. Oh, not in the least. I stuff all my little pets myself when they pass away. Will you have another cup of tea? No, thank you. The tea tasted faintly of bitter almonds, and I didn't much care for it. Oh, you did sign the book, didn't you? Oh, yes. Oh, good. Because later on, if I happen to forget what you were called, then I can always come down here and look it up. I still do that almost every day with Mr. Mulholland and Mr... Oh, Mr. Temple, Gregory Temple, excuse my asking, but haven't there been any other guests here except them in the last five years? No, my dear. Only you. What did you think of the landlady, Greg? Mary, uh, there's no doubt that Roald Dahl excels at introducing creepy twists into his stories. Uh, I must say, I found these books, apparently those aimed at children, apparently aimed at children, uh, such as uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I found them unsettling. When I read them to my daughters when they were very young, you know, I'd, I'd pause and I'd think, oh, I don't know. It's, it's a bit out there. It's it's not a, they're not unlike the fairy tales in the mode of the Brothers Grimm, uh, Hansel and Gretel, and Little Red Riding Hood. You know, Little Red Riding Hood. You've got a granny eating wolf. I mean, indeed. 
handsome Gretel. You've got a kidnapping witch. I mean, good heavens. Yeah, cannibalism, no no problem. Child abduction, <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and just, just think of the poor kid's sugar levels. They, they, I mean, they could have type 2 diabetes after visiting this uh, witch. Yeah, yeah, I um yeah, absolutely. Ronald Roald Dahl, I think, correctly um understands that it doesn't matter what age we are, we love a good scare and a good and good villains. What I also liked about this particular uh, radio play is the original story is still available online in the magazine it first appeared in, which is the New Yorker. And the play is faithful. You know, it's obviously been edited down and adapted, but nevertheless, it does follow the plot, and that's quite nice. Yes, I, I really loved the Foley in this. This is a more recent production, so it's not, you know, golden era kind of radio um, uh, play. It's actually um, recorded, it was recorded in the 80s. So it's actually, you know, got quite good quality Foley in it, all the sound effects when he's, you know, walking up the street and coming into the apartment and whatnot. Quite beautiful, nice and clear. And the next thing I knew, I was climbing the steps to the front door and reaching for the bell. The woman at this door popped out so fast, she was like a jack-in-the-box. It made me jump. Oh, please come in. The desire to follow after her into that house was extraordinarily strong. Getting back to Roald Dahl, there are a couple of uh, trivia notes that I thought uh, people might be interested in. As they may know, he wrote the film script for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which in turn was based on the story by James Bond author Ian Fleming, who was you know, in the secret, British Secret Service. And Dahl himself, during World War II, flew hurricane fighter aircrafts in battle with the um, Luftwaffe over Greece. So you can't fault Dahl's courage, although you may be wary of some of his spookier imagery. Yeah, yeah. He was a fighting a fighter pilot ace, if you have any interest. It's quite in, his, his wartime exploits and what, got, what happened to him was quite, quite interesting, I thought. I was quite surprised to read about all that. I don't, I don't want to get into debate with um, Dahl over one point, though, but I, I was rather upset and disturbed by this um, description. The, you've got the lead character, this 17-year-old, incredibly handsome, according to the landlady, Mr. Weaver. Now, Mr. Weaver's in favour of brisk walking because he says it's the one common characteristic of all successful businessmen. Now, I know this is getting away from the plot. Nevertheless, rubbish. I say, absolute rubbish. I'm wary of people who walk briskly. It's disturbing. Now, are you a brisk walker, Mary? I'm afraid so. Well, okay. well when <laughs> I was a journalist, when I was a journalist covering the magistrate's courts in an Australian port city called uh, Fremantle, each day there'd be men charged with being drunk in public, right, every morning. And virtually every drunk had been gulping down what was known in uh, Fremantle as the White Lady, which was, in fact, methylated spirits. Ooh. Fried their brains, and every one of those drunks walked briskly into the dock. <laughs> and that's how they walked around the street. In my own defense, though, I, I don't always walk briskly. I sometimes really stroll very, very casually. Excellent. Depends on where I am. Excellent. A flaneur, uh, as I believe the uh, uh, French would say. Flaneur. So back to um, the landlady, <laughs> if, we, if we can. What about the landlady? 
Well, I was what I was going to say about the landlady that I loved is the foreshadowing. So yeah. um, it starts with the little dog curled up and sleeping, you know, in the window. And he goes, oh, somebody who likes animals. It's got to be pretty nice. And then, you know, he sees the parrot in the cage. So you get all this foreshadowing. Um, everything's fine. You know, the, wo- the woman's creepy, you know, too friendly, a little over eager. Immediately Lisa's, you know, rents out the room to him. I love the way he built that up. Um, and, uh, you know, created the sense of tension. Look, pretty little dachshund curled up at a sleep in front of it. Mm, pleasant enough furniture. Large parrot in that cage back there. Animals are usually a good sign in this sort of place. All in all, looks far more comfortable than the bell and dragon. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. That's that, that landlady with that folksy, welcoming charm. But there's a cheery note, if that's possible, of hidden menace there. And particularly when she, just in passing, you know, we said, well, what happened to the other two uh, 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 guests who were staying there? Oh, they're still on the fourth floor five years after disappearing. I think that's giving the game away. That's a hint of what may be coming. It is also, um, you know, you, you realise the tea is going to be a problem. <laughs> yep, yes, absolutely. Well, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but I think that's the moral of the story. Beware of people who offer you tea that tastes of bitter almonds because even the accompanying ginger biscuit won't take away the taste or the horror that awaits you. Mm. So that's arsenic, right? Is that right? Uh, I, I should say a bit of goo. I was wondering about that tea. <laughs> I think I think the almond taste is arsenic. I'm not that I'm a not that I'm a professional poisoner, but no, it's, um, it's uh, not dissimilar. I would say in taste to Earl Grey, a revolting tea. Uh, I think mm. that's probably what she served him. The thing that I I was a little bit frustrated with this uh, recording is that the way it's served up, and I I retrieved it from YouTube. Um, there's no credit for the voice actors, so I, I, you know, we know who the the writer is, but we there's no credit given to to the two voice actors who I think are great in this. So if anyone listening out there has heard this recording uh, and knows who these voice actors are, please let me know. Contact me through um, the Shiver Show on any of our social media because I would love to credit them if I can. Yes, indeed. I, I thought they were terrific too. Uh, but um, getting back to the uh, the landlady there, she's surrounded by death. And as you pointed out, so the dachshund and the parrot are, as we say in Australia, completely stuffed. You know, they, <laughs> and they reminded me of the dead parrot sketch in the English comedy series Monty Python. Uh, that's the sketch where the John Cleese character is arguing with a pet shop owner uh, that the carrot, uh, the, the carrot, the parrot, sorry. The carrot. This is a dead carrot. <laughs> well, the parrot, the parrot that um, uh, the Cleese character has bought is dead. So uh, Cleese shouts that the parrot has passed on, that this parrot is no more. Ceased to be expired, gone to its maker. It's a late parrot. Now, you have to say in this show that's one ex parrot that's uh, that woman's got on her shelf. Yeah. Now, I'm not quite certain. Uh, this is uh, written in 1959, so I'm not quite certain if five shillings and sixpence is a g- good bargain, but I did think you're getting one measly egg for breakfast mm-hmm. if you make it through the night. It seemed to be. T- 
as as uh, I think you have said in the past, you know, this is a woman who's not going to appear on Airbnb with a lot of you know five star ratings. No, no, she's she's definitely she's definitely not going to get a five star rating or, or be a super host on Airbnb. Um, yes, it's a it's so it's kind of fun. Have you, Greg? Have you ever stayed in a creepy place? Uh, yes, I, uh, my wife and I uh, stayed in a very creepy place in uh, London about four years ago. It was an old school teacher's house in um, Kensington, South London. And what they'd done is they'd um, chopped the um, this um, uh, you know perhaps three or four story home up into various rooms where all the guests stayed. And one thing. <laughs> One thing I didn't quite like was the fact that uh, there was no en suite. So at 2 a.m. in the morning, you know, if if you're a mature age man like myself or 3 a.m., you do tend to go for a wander to the bathroom. Yeah. And you're walking down these dark halls and wondering. And not dissimilar to when we stayed in France in an old castle and in the middle of the night, you actually had to wind down the stone stairs to get to the uh, toilet. And I'll absolutely swear as, uh, as I passed uh, uh, you know, some guy with a head under his arm st- standing on the staircase. <laughs> and, the, and the head said to me, Bonsoir. As, as I passed. So I'm easily scared. Easily scared is the point. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh- that I can't top those, Greg, but I have definitely stayed in some very strange places. Yes, especially when I was younger and and you know poorer, I, I stayed um, in a accommodation when I was going to uni, and um, they were super creepy. Like one of the the woman, I never actually ever saw her. She was in this room, and she used to speak to me from the other room, like Mrs. Bates nice. in, right. what? <laughs> in Psycho, you know. Yes, indeed. Yeah, she would. She would make comments, and her husband was always offering to. Um, no, well, in fact, he was. Oh, he was very worried about my getting a sunburn. So he was always saying, "I have just the thing. I could rub it into your skin. You'll find it." It's like you're not yeah, touching my a... skin, Mary. <laughs> yeah, I checked out after a week. That's a, lo- a lovely spooky horror scene, uh, and talk about the endings. Uh, the the final thing I was going to say that was a, a knockout ending. Now, when a woman sits on a couch next to me and leans over and whispers provocatively, "Only you," I'd rather hope she's not referring to her plans for a little amateur taxidermy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've never seen a stuffed person, and I hope I never do. <laughs> have you Have you been to Madame Two Swords? Yeah, but those are wax, right? Well, yes, yeah, sure, sure. It's not quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> Roald Dahl uh, is also the author of James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, and the Fantastic Mr. Fox. So his writing, his children's writing has been made into movies over and over again. So obviously we all love his dark writing. And um, another little bit of trivia, Greg, is that in 2021, Forbes, the magazine Forbes, which is Financial Money magazine, they rated Roald Dahl as the top earning dead celebrity (laughs) in 2021. (laughs) More money than Elvis and a whole bunch of other people. Holy holy heck. Well, that's that's reassuring 
that's very reassuring for my family that uh, I've got one novel out. By the way, the Berlin Cross. Um, <laughs> not making a plug or anything. No, not at all. Available in a remainder bin near you at your local bookstore. <laughs> you know you deserve it. So it's time for listener mail, Greg. Excellent. This one's from Hatted Sailor, and he says, Hi, Mary and Greg. Love the show and your discussions at the end are my favorite part. Thank you, Hatted Sailor. Uh, When I listened to the Hitchhiker episode, Greg said that the main character was a corporeal ghost. In, In other words, a physical, like having physical form. But I have a theory for you. Everyone on the road trip is a ghost, including the hitchhiker, the driver, the girl hitchhiker, and the gas station guy. What do you think of that? Wow. That's very Twilight Zone, isn't it? Mm. Oh, that's that's quite nice. I quite like that. That would explain a lot of things. Yeah, I think I thought that was that was a bit mind-blowing when I saw that. Yes, I'm sold. Yeah, I'm sold too, um, hatted sailor. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes, no, I can ex- I can accept that. It's so logical. Thank yeah. goodness somebody pointed that out. And and I think that, um, you know, when he phones home, he's kind of connecting with the real world, um, but, but only briefly. No, yeah. that's a very good thinking. <laughs> Delightful. All right, well, that's listener mail, Greg. Marvellous, marvellous. Lovely to hear from the listeners. That's our show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed The Shiver Show. Please follow us on social media. Our handle on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok is at The Shiver Show. Check us out. And also check out our new website, which is www.timewarpstudios.com. Mary, once again, it's been a real treat. Actually, it's been a real horror, to be to be frank. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, good night. Good night, Greg. And good night to you, listeners. <laughs> <laughs>